Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Hope you'll check them out and give them a call. Johnson'sAirConditioning.com is the website. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is LifeInNaples.net. We've got great guests for today's show, including William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll also visit with Sal Nuzo. He's the Vice President of Policy at the James Madison Institute. We'll visit with Naomi Perez, who is the Executive Director of the Immokalee Foundation. And Fred McMahon, he is the Chair of Economic Freedom Research at the Fraser Institute in Canada. We're looking forward to visit with Fred as well. By the way, Happy New Year to you. Uh, it's, uh, of course, December the 31st. And... We'll look forward to an even better year in 2022. Uh, it is December 31st, and on this day in 1999, the United States, in accordance with the Torrijos Carter Treaties, offer, uh, officially handed over control of the Panama Canal, putting the strategic waterway in the Panamanian hands for the first time. Crowds of Panamanians celebrated the transfer of the 50-mile canal, which links the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans, and officially opened when the SS Archon sailed through on August the 15th, 1914. Since then, over one million ships have used the canal. Interest in finding a shortcut from the Atlantic to the Pacific originated with explorers in Central America in the early 1500s. In 1523, Holy Roman Emperor Charles V commissioned a survey of the Isthmus of Panama and several plans for the canal were produced, but none ever implemented. U.S. interest in building a canal was sparked with the expansion of the American West and the California Gold Rush in 1848. Today, a ship heading from New York to San Francisco can save about 7,800 miles by taking the Panama Canal rather than sailing around South America. The 18, in 1880, a French-Canadian company, Run by a builder of the Suez Canal, started digging a canal across the Isthmus of Panal, then part of Colombia. More than 22,000 workers died from tropical diseases such as yellow fever during the early phase of construction, and the company eventually went bankrupt, selling its project rights to the United States in 1902 for $40 million. President uh, Teddy Roosevelt championed the canal, viewing it as important to America's economic and military interests. In 1903, Panama declared its independence from Colombia in a U.S.-backed revolution, and the U.S. and Panama signed a treaty in which the United States agreed to pay Panama $10 million for a perpetual lease on land for the canal, plus $250,000 annually in rent. Over 56,000 people worked on the canal between 1904 and 1913, and over 5,600 lost their lives. When finished, the canal was cost uh, a U.S. $375 million to build, was considered a great engineering marvel, and represented America's emergence as a world power. In 1977, responding to nearly 20 years of Panamanian protest, U.S. President Jimmy Carter, who else, and Panama's General uh, Omar Torrijos signed a two new treaties that replaced the original 1903 agreement and called for a transfer of the canal control in 1999. The treaty uh, narrowly ratified the U.S. Senate in the U.S. Senate, gave America the ongoing right to defend the canal against any threats or to its neutrality. 
In October 2006, Panamanian voters approved the $5.25 billion plan to double the canal size by 2015 to better accommodate modern ships. Ships pay tolls to use the canal based on each vessel's size and cargo volume. In May 2006, there was a ship that paid a record $249,165 for a trip through the canal, the smallest ever toll. <laughs> this is really interesting. 36 cents was paid by Richard Halliburton, who swam the canal in 1928. No small feat. Remember, it's 50 miles. Pretty amazing. I found this quote that was kind of interesting, and I think apropos to the point that it's uh, now New Year's Eve. Be at war with your vices. Be at war with your vices, at peace with your neighbors, and let every new year find you a better man. That from Benjamin Franklin. Good words to think and live by. Well, firefighters on Thursday night were trying to their best to preserve homes in the line of a fast-moving wildfire, which shocked the state at a time when the ground should usually be thick with December snow. The Marshall Fire, just south of Boulder, was sparked by extreme winds gusting over 100 miles an hour, which knocked down power lines and sparked a fire. Officials on Thursday confirmed that at least 580 homes have been lost, making the Marshall Fire the most devastating destruction of property in state history. The unseasonal fires came after smaller fires were reported in the state at the end of a bone-dry summer and fall. Colorado saw an unusually high levels of rain in the spring, but that was followed by a punishing drought. Since April the 1st, boulders received less than a quarter of its typical rain and snow over the five-month period. The spring rains caused a surge in undergrowth, which then dried out the parched summer and uh, served as perfect tinder for Thursday's fire. More than 30,000 people were forced to evacuate on Thursday. Around the towns of Superior, population of 13,000, and Louisville, homes to uh, 21,000 folks. If you can imagine that. Apparently, read about one woman who started a restaurant out there two weeks ago and then lost everything in this fire just in a matter of moments, just barely escaped with their lives. Tragic what's happened in Colorado. The force of nature, huh? Pretty, pretty uh, forceful. Well, President Joe Biden declared on Wednesday that despite record inflation and a record trade deficit, he has the strongest first-year economic track record of any president in the last 50 years. I'm not kidding. He really said that. <laughs> Talk about out of touch. We're ending 2021 with what uh, one analyst described as the strongest first year economic track record of any president in the last 50 years. He tweeted, adding, let's keep the progress going. Please don't keep this progress going, Mr. President. On the same day, the Commerce Department released a dismal trade deficit report showing that the gap between the cost of imported goods had exceeded the value of exported at a record high and would likely continue for the duration of the coronavirus pandemic. One economist said the report showed that the U.S. economy had never been weaker. <laughs> In another tweet Wednesday, Biden touted himself as a hero of the working class, citing his passage of the infrastructure bill, which ignored the implosion of his Build Back Better agenda. However, as CNBC noted on Wednesday, the current record inflation has further widened the gap between rich and poor as lower-income households bear the brunt of rising prices. The coronavirus pandemic has led to a new era of inflation inequality, economists warn, in which poor households bear the brunt of rising prices. 
That's because a bigger portion of their budget goes towards categories that have been spiked in costs. Food is up 6.4% over the past year, for example, while gasoline jumped a whopping 58%. And now many people are facing those higher prices as federal stimulus programs fade away. A recent analyst by Penn Wharton Budget Motel found that low- and middle-income households spent 7% more in 2021 for the same products they bought in 2020 or in 2019. That translates into about $3,500 for the average household. By contrast, spending uh, by wealthy went up only 6%. Chris Weimer, who's the co-director of the Center on Poverty and Social Policy at Columbia University, told CNBC that lower-income households are increasingly being forced to choose between essential items such as gas and food. They're essentially looking to stretch a dollar most days, said Weimer. It's going to be difficult to make choices between putting gas in the car or paying for your kids' childcare or putting food on the table. Sad commentary indeed, with the president again touting that the strongest presidency in the first year of his presidency in 50 years. Unbelievable. Well, a note here, locally, the 2022 Naples Winter Wine Festival under the theme 2022 Together runs January the 28th to 30th this year. The 22nd annual event uh, marks a return to an in-person format after the team prevented to a virtual presentation last year due to COVID-19. The fundraiser since its 2001 inception has raised, get this, nearly uh, $220 million for the Naples Children's Education Foundation. Tickets for the event began at $15,000. That's for two. And for complete information on auction lots, participating vintners and chefs, you can visit NaplesWineFestival.com. It's really quite an event. And they raise this money. By the way, you give it to the foundation, Naples Children and Education Foundation, who in turn vet each of the organizations applying for grants and make sure there's accountability for these, those grants afterwards. So the uh, federal government could take a, a page out of this book because they do a great job of not only raising money, that's an amazing amount of money, it's over $20 million a year over the 21-year his, history. 20-year history, but also do a great job of making sure that organizations use the money wisely. Well, U.S. Uh, health authorities on Thursday urged Americans to avoid cruise travel, even if they're vaccinated, citing the surge in COVID-19 cases spurred by the Omicron variant. Avoid cruise travel, regardless of vaccination status, at a posting at the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's website that upgraded the travel notice on cruising to level four, the highest on its COVID risk scale. Even fully vaccinated travelers may be at risk for getting and spreading COVID-19 variants, the notice said. This is so sad. We uh, actually have, uh, we're planning on going to a cruise, on a cruise, the Jazz Cruise. It would have been our sixth time going on the cruise that we skipped last year, of course, the, because there was no cruise. Uh, but uh, we decided not to go because of the mandates that they are having, getting vaccinated, test 48 hours before, uh, wearing masks the entire cruise. Well, uh, we got out, but there's lots of people that now are saying, what about us? We'd like to get out too. Sad commentary. Uh, the, the, the results or the uh, symptoms of this are pretty much uh, cold, having a mild cold. But the, again, we're fanning the flames of fear about this COVID-19 uh, pandemic or uh, variant. In my mind, this is uh, just taking things way out of proportion.
On Thursday, Royal Caribbean modified or canceled 16 destinations out of 331 due to the uptick in COVID cases. Way out of proportion, in my opinion. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Higher Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way towards keeping seniors connected in the community and with each other. Serving all of Collier County, the Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding resources and services that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers, empowering seniors to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Programs are offered free of charge in a safe, welcoming space and focus on fellowship, enrichment and wellness, continuing education and meeting basic needs through offerings such as daily hot lunch, health screenings, and counseling services. So whether you're looking for referrals to services or a vibrant place to make friends, enjoy community support, or learn something new, Collier Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center is your Collier Senior Center. To learn more about programs and services, please visit CollierSeniorResources.org. That's CollierSeniorResources.org. Or call the Senior Center directly at 239 239- 252-4534. That's 252-3534. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new refreshing social networking platform. You can find out more and download the app by going to the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Sal Nuzzo, Vice President of Policy at the James Madison Institute. Right now we have with us William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Cato Institute. Uh, You bet. Uh, We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. 
Cato.org is the website. C-A-T-O.org. So, William, it looks like uh, maybe we can just uh, bury this entire Build Back Better notion that uh, the president has been uh, 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 promoting. But he's also saying that, hey, we're going to bring this thing back to life. Also hearing that from other politicians like Nancy Pelosi as well. What are your thoughts? Well, indeed. So uh, the latest on this score is, I guess, along two fronts. Um, So on the one hand, Representative Jayapal, um, and she represents, uh, she's the chair of the Progressive Caucus in the House. So she speaks for about 100 lawmakers. Uh, She had an op-ed early this week in the Washington Post in which she demanded that President Biden um, proceed with executive action to implement uh, much of the Build Back Better agenda. Um, and I would just note here um, sort of uh, the constitutional bizarreness um, of, of about 100 lawmakers uh, begging the president to run roughshod over the Congress by doing unilaterally that which Congress failed to do. Um, so on one hand, that's going on. And then on the other hand, uh, to resuscitate the, the politics for this Build Back Better agenda, uh, the Senate Majority Leader Schumer is reportedly intending or uh, planning on playing, uh, quote, hardball. And what that entails is he wants to drive a wedge between Senator Manchin, whose opposition ultimately sank, um, you know, the prospects to build back better act uh, this year. Um, he wants to drive a, a wedge between him and his low income constituents. Um, so he's going to force just repeated votes and just hammer uh, reportedly. Um, and Hammer mentioned over the head, I guess, with, with uh, the, evidently, but how his constituents won't uh, appreciate his denying these handouts. Um, so we'll see uh, how this latter political strategy plays. I mean, again, as, as we've noted a number of times, um, not only did Trump win West Virginia by 40 points, which suggests, suggests that state is, is not necessarily in line with mainstream Democrat politics, um, but Manchin's approval rating has gone through the roof, um, you know, throughout this entire ordeal. So it just doesn't appear as though they've got much leverage when it comes to, say, driving a wedge between him and his constituents. Yeah. Uh, two thoughts, uh, William. First of all, the uh, coal miners union apparently spoke up and said, hey, we want Manchin to support this thing. I can't even believe that happened because there's so many alternative energy uh, mandates involved in this entire bill. So it could put them right out of business. Uh, and the second thing is, I would love to see this brought to vote many times so that it could splash on not only uh, on everybody who who supports this bill, which is going to drive us into total bankruptcy. Well, you know, here, here to your latter point. And we spoke of that dynamic last week, which is to say the politics are horrible on these votes for, for Democrats, and in particular, uh, middle-of-the-road blue-dog Democrats who are facing elections. Um, you know, upcoming elections. So, uh, uh, indeed, I, too, welcome with open arms that particular strategy. I'll note with respect to the, the miners' union, that, too, surprised me, and, and ultimately that's a function of uh, the sort of the horse trough politics that, that now dominates these major spending bills. Mm-hmm. So, evidently, the, uh, the, the Black Lung Benefits Program had been uh, given a, a, a significant boost in funding. Ah. And, and so they had their eyes on that prize to the exclusion of, of everything else in the bill. So that would explain their position. And uh, ultimately, we'll see. I mean, you know, again, the poll numbers in West Virginia are something that everyone is keen on these days. 
Um, but, but so far, uh, you know, Manchin has been at this for about half a year now. Um, his constituents, who again voted for Trump by 40 points in 2020, have done nothing but support him. Well, you know, apparently one of the strategies might be to kind of divide this bill up and see if they can't pass it piecemeal. One of the things that uh, Manchin supports is increasing getting rid of the uh, uh, of the Trump tax cuts, which I think would be absolutely terrible for the economy and for the revenue of the United States. So um, if that strategy could be very concerning. I couldn't agree more on that score, but I'll note here um, it's the other the Senate centrists in the Democrat caucus that, that, that our hopes <laughs> here are hopes hang on. And by that, I mean Senator Sinema. Um, she's drawn a line in the sand about those tax cuts, mm. reportedly. Um, so even if uh, Manchin is on board with that particular strategy, at the end of the day, I don't believe Sinema is. So uh, there's hope yet <laughs> that even a piecemeal strategy uh, may fail. And, you know, again, this is something that we've noticed in prior calls. Everything becomes a ton harder in an election year. Yeah. Um, so uh, the fact that they kicked this can to 2022 means that all of these strategies, you know, we're talking about them now, but they become very difficult to implement where the rubber meets the road. Well, thank you, William. Before I let you go, I just wonder if you were completing the first year of the uh, uh, first year of the calendar year of uh, uh, Biden's presidency. Any thoughts? How do you assess it? Well, geez, I would say uh, probably a D minus um, and just say we're, we're at a point where it's perhaps a comic divergence between words and deeds. Um, you know, if your listeners remember Inauguration Day, it was, uh, it was all kumbaya and promising bipartisanship. Um, we've seen very little to none of that. Um, you know, he's saying that more government spending is the solution to inflation, you know, which is the economic worry of the day. Um, that makes no sense. You know, he declared mission, or no, uh, what was it, uh, the Declaration of Independence from COVID months ago. You know, clearly that didn't pan out. So um, I'd say it's been a rough year, and that's indicated by his poll numbers being in the tank. Couldn't agree more. And, of course, we have Afghanistan and a number of other things, debacles that have occurred sure. as well. I mean, uh, with uh, the next two uh, good decisions, I think, Trump, uh, that uh, Biden makes will be the first and second, in my opinion. So, <laughs> Fair w- William Yateman, again, uh, research fellow at the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website. C-A-T-O dot org. William, always appreciate your commentary here in the show and Happy New Year to you and your family. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Bob, and Happy New Year to you and your family as well. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Sal Nuzzo, Vice President of Policy at the James Madison Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere 
that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of 1st Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, not only building a performing arts center in downtown Naples, which is going to be fantastic, but also bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Naomi Perez. She is the executive director of the Immokalee Foundation. Right now we have with us Sal Nuzzo. He's the vice president of policy with the James Madison Institute. Sal, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob, and thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, Sal. Tell us about the James Madison Institute. Sure. Uh, JMI is a nonprofit, nonpartisan research foundation. We focus on economic policies impacting Florida, and our philosophical bent is always to promote the values of free market capitalism, property rights, the rule of law, uh, education choice, and and the like. So uh, we've been around for uh, 35 years, and uh, just kind of do what we do in Tallahassee around the state of Florida and try to assist the folks in D.C. whenever possible. Yeah, uh, it's my go-to site for finding out information on policy with regard to Florida. I think it's a, a terrific organization. And the na- the website is jamesmadison.org, jamesmadison.org. So, Sal, we're coming into this new year now, and I'm wondering what uh, your focus at the James Madison Institute might be in terms of policy and law. Yeah, absolutely. And and 2022 is going to be an incredibly exciting year for Florida, uh, as you could imagine, because of the prominence that Governor DeSantis has now uh, nationally and kind of all of the, the, the scuttlebutt about, you know, potential 2024 aspirations. There's a lot that's going to be happening through the prism of positioning Governor DeSantis Uh, nationally against the administration. So I would imagine that a lot of the policy things that we're going to be looking at, uh, particularly in the healthcare arena, are going to be looking at things like improving and increasing the supply side of practitioners. Uh, We did a little bit, uh, actually quite a lot, a couple of years back to, uh, to expand 
scope of practice for nurse practitioners and physician's assistants. We're going to be doing more. Uh, a ton has been done on educational choice, school choice uh, at the K-12 level. Uh, I would expect a whole lot more to, to, uh, to come about from there. Uh, in addition, trying to continue the trend of helping small businesses uh, by way of uh, kind of working on local uh, licensing reform, things along those lines, anything that can be done to help kind of small businesses and entrepreneurs uh, continue to kind of push Florida's economy ahead. I love those focuses. And of course, in my view, the governor has been a firewall protecting us against the onslaught of uh, the federal government on our freedoms. And we're seeing what's happened in blue states and the, the lockdowns and the like. So it's uh, we're just very grateful this direction and your support uh, with uh, of the legislature and the governor on these attempts. As the, you know, we're seeing what I think looks like socialization of health care and more and more. <laughs> it looks like propaganda to me coming from Fauci and from the CDC with regard to uh, how we can maintain and sustain our health. Any thoughts? Yeah. In fact, um, one of the, the bright spots uh, that the federal government did, uh, in fact, it was a did not do for 2021 was the Build Back Better plan. Mm -hmm. Buried in that uh, plan were a series of provisions that would have impacted Florida and every other state on uh, further expansion of socialized health care through uh, incentives on Medicaid expansion, uh, through Medicare expansion, things that it just it's kind of a, a growing trend of, of the the federal government wanting to encroach on the ability of states to better manage their health care system. And, and one of the things that we've kind of discovered over the years is that Florida is a better arbiter of what we need in a health care system than the federal government is and, and probably always will be. And that runs true for Florida, for Iowa, for Kansas, for California. Uh, and so that was probably one of the things that we were really hopeful would not go. And, and thanks to uh, kind of the Republican caucus in the Senate, along with Joe Manchin, uh, we, we were able to kind of push that back. So uh, we would like to use that opportunity to make sure that we're continuing to push forward on supply side and free market health care principles in the state in the 2022 legislative session. Outstanding. Moving to education, I mean, I'm so proud of what we're accomplishing. I, I think we're probably one of the leading states in the nation with regard to school choice. Education is getting better and better under this administration and, of course, with uh, the uh, 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 Commissioner of Education. Uh, are we planning anything in terms of expanding uh, school choice in Florida? Yes, and, and that's also a, a very big bright spot. Florida and, uh, oddly, West Virginia are right now the two leading states with respect to parental choice in K-12 education. Hmm. Uh, West Virginia, about a year ago, passed a universal education savings account. Florida's taken a bit of a different approach, kind of a piecemeal approach to different populations of students, kind of giving them scholarships and vouchers and, and whatnot. And so we'll continue to expand those uh, with the goal that uh, I, I believe it's right now uh, 80 to 85 percent of Florida's students have access to some level of school choice. Wow. And so 
Uh, yeah, and so the, the, the goal would be, of course, 100% choice options, uh, and so we'll continue to move in that direction through expanding the parent, uh, the PLSA, the Parental uh, Learning Scholarship Accounts, and a couple of the other programs that are available. That's outstanding. So, uh, and then just moving to election integrity, I, I personally thought that Florida had an outstanding system in place for the 20, uh, 20 elections, uh, and uh, I think we probably had a minimal amount of fraud, although there are some that say that we did have some fraud here in Florida. Uh, where, where's our eye on that? Uh, this is a, a kind of an under-the-radar uh, issue for the state of Florida, because you're very right. Florida went from kind of election zero to election hero between 2000 and 2020. Mm. Uh, I remember Bush v. Gore, and what we did in 2020 was just a remarkable 180 degrees from that. We became a model for the entire country. And so over the last year, we've actually been working at JMI with a number of other states to help them kind of improve their election systems, modeling off of the policies that we implemented here over the last 20 years. In 2021, uh, Florida implemented some tightening of our uh, kind of election laws with respect to drop boxes and and whatnot and kind of uh, making sure that they're monitored effectively will uh, potentially pass some legislation uh, this coming session that will deal with things like cleaning up uh, the, the voter rolls a little bit more effectively and some uh, additional uh, kind of cleanup on the mail, uh, the mail in drop box uh, pieces for uh, for ballots. Yeah, that's so important. Also, uh, with regard to college campuses, it's kind of alarming the lack of free speech and what we're seeing on our college campuses right now. We have a terrific uh, state uh, higher education system, I'll call it. And I'm just wondering how we're doing with regard to uh, expression of thought and free speech on our college campuses. This is also a great topic for JMI. We've been working with uh, both the Board of uh, Governors at the state level uh, as well as the Department of Education and Governor's Office to uh, implement a a kind of law that the legislature passed earlier this year on ensuring academic integrity and philosophical freedom uh, on our campuses. And so there are some groups out there that monitor this kind of stuff. Uh, And so we've worked with uh, those groups and then the legislature to help design uh, a survey that uh, college campuses will do and implement and will be able to monitor it and kind of gauge how students and faculty feel about their ability to express themselves regardless of their philosophical uh, leaning. Uh, that's so important. Finally, I just want to just acknowledge the fact that we've uh, seen less uh, regulation. Uh, I forgot what we, what the what the, the Sanders called his promotion, what he uh, promoted when he first came into office. But uh, it's going to help small businesses. It's going to help the little guy get involved and get into into business, uh, removing some of the barriers to entry uh, for getting into business and getting a new job. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, occupational licensing was a big issue for uh, for the governor in his first couple of years uh, in office. And that kind of corresponds to individuals seeking to become, whether it's a barber or a contractor or things along those lines. 
One of the things that they've been working on the last uh, year has been more on the small business side of things. So as an example, you could have a business in uh, in Lee County, and uh, when they go to or if they want to open a new location in Collier County, they have to jump through a whole set of hoops established by the different counties. Yeah. So uh, there, there's really no uh, logical reason for a lot of those uh, kind of licensing at the local level. And so uh, the legislature will probably be taking a look at those uh, and look to kind of engage in either uh, kind of county to county recognition or reciprocity on licensing uh, and some of the issues that kind of correspond to that. So that's something I would definitely keep an eye on for 2020. All right, Sal Nuzzo again, Vice President of Policy, the James Madison Institute. I encourage you to visit jamesmadison.org to find out more. Sal, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Happy New Year to you, and thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, Bob. To you. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, Naomi Perez. Looking forward to this conversation. The Immokalee Foundation doing such interesting th- things to help uh, people uh, who are disadvantaged uh, get involved in the economy. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and I proudly serve on the board. I hope you'll check out the website, thefga.org. Well, I had, uh, there's, I've got a bad phone number for Naomi Perez. I was really looking forward to this conversation because they've started a really cool program. I'll try and get her back on the line sometime next week uh, about uh, getting young people involved and building homes and learning skills in order to have a real high-quality job. And uh, the Macklin Foundation, I think, is demonstrating tremendous uh, innovation in uh, this type of program. So I hope you check out ImmokaleeFoundation.org, I believe is the website, ImmokaleeFoundation.org. Well, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who, of course, is the chief medical advisor to President Joe Biden, says child hospitalizations due to coronavirus are avoidable with the vaccine. His quote is virtually all, not 100 percent, but close to that of the children who are seriously ill in our hospitals from COVID-19 or children whose parents decided they did not want to vaccinate them. He said during an appearance on uh, News Nation's Morning America in on Thursday, this is avoidable, he said. After nearly two years of fear mongering, Dr. Fauci admitted many children are hospitalized with COVID, not because of COVID. If you look at the children who are hospitalized, he said many of them are hospitalized with COVID as opposed to being uh, uh, because of COVID. Dr. Malone has endorsed and encouraged older and at-risk Americans to receive the vaccine, but he suggested that younger, healthier persons should question its use. Malone argued the risks of vaccine for children far outweigh the benefits, noting that children have an extremely low mortality rate for COVID-19. So lots of mixed messages that we're getting here, which are creating a lot of distrust with regard to public health. I saw, uh, first of all, the book that Robert Kennedy Jr. wrote, which is uh, The Real Anthony Fauci, is a must-read. It is just shocking and unbelievable information. But the second thing is, why are we inoculating children? Why are we giving them vaccine when, in fact, their risk of getting sick, being hospitalized, or even dying is very, very remote? Well, I I saw a video with... uh, Robert Kennedy, who perhaps explains this and helps us better understand it. Apparently, if children are, uh, if it's agreed that children should be inoculated, should be vaccinated, it allows the drug companies to be free of risk for being sued. So if, in fact, the the emergency uh, treatment for uh, vaccines right, right now is removed, uh, Pfizer and others could be liable for any kind of financial harm or physical harm that's created by the vaccines. But if children are included in the vaccine coverage, then uh, the, uh, the uh, drug companies like Pfizer, Moderna, are held uh, immune from, the, uh, from financial harm. So that, I think, explains a lot of it. It has to comes down to the money, doesn't it? And which is so sad because we have our public health officials like Dr. Fauci and the CDC participating and running cover for Pfizer and other companies. Such a shame. Well, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is under fire from health experts and employee groups that say the new COVID-19 isolation and quarantine guidance doesn't follow the science. The critics are saying that government is changing the rules for practical reasons to keep the economy from shutting down. And comments from CDC Director Rochelle Walensky 
and White House Chief Medical Advisor Anthony Fauci indicate the critics have a point. On Monday, the CDC rolled out guides for shortening the time period for test who, for people who test positive for COVID-19 are recommended to isolate before interacting with other people. Previously, a person who tested positive for the virus were supposed to quarantine for 10 days. Now the CDC says people who test positive are asked to isolate for five days, and then if they have no symptoms, they may leave quarantine as long as they wear a mask around others. Mother may I, my goodness, they're making up these, these, uh, <laughs> this guidance as they go. The new guidance applies to everyone regardless of vaccination status. But here's what's causing the controversy. The new guidelines do not require a person in quarantine to test negative for the virus before leaving isolation after five days. They're also silent on the type of mask a person leaves, uh, leaving quarantine should wear, even though the weight of science evidence suggests that cloth masks, which are highly popular, are not the effective, is not effective as stopping transmission, for example, as the N95 mask. Fauci and Walensky insist the change is based on science, demonstrating that most COVID-19 transmission happens in one to two days prior to the onset of symptoms and two to three days afterward. Now, I'd like to see the scientific study that suggests that's true. I suspect, like everything else, they made it up. The six feet uh, distancing, the wearing the mask, uh, the... Uh, remember, we're going to have two weeks to flatten the curve, and now if we get this... Uh, vaccine now it's going to take care of things and we'll be free well nothing could be further from the truth and in fact we're finding out that people that have been vaccinated are more contagious in some cases than people that haven't been vaccinated we go back to the ships that are now being uh, encouraged not to sail because of uh, COVID-19 it's unbelievable health experts commenting on social media criticized the lack of testing recommendation with one epidemiologist going so far as to call the guidance quote unquote reckless now on a different topic uh, representative jason smith who's a republican from missouri broke this report this week now listen to this this is amazing he said he uh the uh, that the government has reallocated $2 billion of money that should go towards COVID-19 testing. It's now being reallocated uh, to the House's illegal illegals at the border. Now, you may be aware we're shipping these illegals all over the country. We're providing them room and board. But where's the money coming from? It's coming from the money to test people for COVID-19. That, according to Representative Jason Smith, the Republican from Missouri. And finally, on this note, Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers caught the coronavirus and then announced he was going to follow Joe Rogan's advice and take ivermectin, which is not available, by the way, to most of us. In fact, the pharmacies won't fill it here locally and the doctors won't prescribe it because they put themselves at risk. Rodgers was back on the field a week after uh, playing football. On Tuesday, Rogers went back on with uh, Pat McAfee and told his audience that several NFL teams using the same treatments he used to beat the coronavirus. He said, if science can't be questions, it's not science, it's propaganda. And Aaron Rodgers is so right about that. Here's, here's a quote from him. I think one of my issues, and I brought this up many times, is that, one, they don't talk about the fact that guys are getting better, people are getting better using these things, and that's fine if you don't want to talk about that. But how about how come in, the, in a league we are seeing with 52 guys on the list yesterday, there's still zero conversation, at least publicly, about treatment options for people that test positive? I don't know, behind the scenes, this is 100% true. There are many teams who are just using 
what, what is recommended a lot of the time, treatments that I got from my players. If science can't be questioned, it's not science, then it's propaganda, said Aaron Rodgers. They're using ivermectin. He, according to Rodgers in the NFL, ivermectin, again, you can't get it here locally because Fauci and others have trashed it trying to get everybody vaccinated instead. Uh, and again, they wonder why we're not trusting doctors and why we're not trusting science and public health officials. Well, because a lot of this stuff is propaganda, unfortunately. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Fred McMahon. He's the chair of the Economic Freedom at the Fraser Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity maximize your tax deduction support your favorite charity and help a local child in need by calling naples auto donation center naples auto donation center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer just call nadc at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there you get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by nadc goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, to personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Fred McMahon. He's the chair of Economic Freedom Research at the Fraser Institute. Fred, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Tell us about the uh, Fraser Institute. Uh, the Fraser Institute is a free market institute. Uh, basically, uh, exactly what you said is your motto, is our motto. Uh, we're interested in limited government and individual freedom, and the Fraser Institute was a pioneer in establishing uh, indexes of economic freedom, which are which fundamental to human life. 
So I've been looking forward to this conversation. Oh, by the way, do you have a website? Oh, yes, uh, Fraser Institute. Uh, Fraser Institute dot org is the website. So uh, you've come out with, I believe it's the seventeenth Economic Freedom of North America report. Maybe you can tell us about it. Sure. We look at the level of economic freedom in all of the Canadian provinces, U.S. states, and Mexican states. Uh, uh, both. Um, uh, so we look at the, the level of economic freedom subnationally of all subnational levels of government, and we have two separate indexes. One just looks at the impact of state and local government on reducing economic freedom, and the other, the all-government index, looks at the uh, effect of all levels of government on economic freedom. So interesting. So uh, I can't help but ask, uh, we're in Florida here. How's Florida doing? Florida is doing very well on the uh, subnational index, which is the best one to compare state to state rather than state to province. Uh, Florida is uh, third, and it's only 0.05 percentage points behind number one, which is New Hampshire. Wow, so interesting. So tell us about the metrics and how you get to the point where you rank these uh, states and countries. Sure. For the subnational index, we look at uh, government spending. The more government spends, even if the money comes from away, it reduces the space for free exchange. We look at uh, uh, taxation because, of course, the more of your property the government expropriates through taxation, the less free you are. And we also look at various regulations, in particular labor market regulations, which may be the most important and repressive type of uh, regulation because they often prevent uh, the poorest and least skilled from entering the labor market, and the best training for a job is a job. And no question about it. So uh, can you tell us about trends? Which way is Canada moving, and which way is the United States moving? Um, the trends for Canada, unfortunately, are down and have been uh, for a while. Uh, so, for instance, um, our, I should mention that we, you, the, we ensure that our index is comprehensive, which means uh, the index comes out with a two-year delay in order to obtain comprehensive data. Mm -hmm. So Canada has fallen a fairly substantial 0.2 percentage points, uh, 0.2 points um, since 2016. The United States has also declined, but less so, and Mexico has actually gained up to 2019, but uh, their new president, who's a hard left-wing socialist and is also already uh, repressing the media and free speech in Mexico, is certainly going to bring it down. Yeah. So, uh, and I would imagine then, because there's a two-year delay, that the uh, factors of uh, coronavirus and the pandemic and the, the lockdowns and so forth haven't been included in this. Uh, that's exactly right. Yeah, so interesting. So uh, just in terms of, uh, uh, and you're not doing Central American countries, are you? No, no, we wouldn't have enough data for them on a subnational level. That is so interesting. So tell us why Mexico is uh, perhaps, uh, uh, as you mentioned, of course, they have a new progressive president there, but how have they improved? 
Um, they were basically getting some of their regulations and fiscal hosts in order under the uh, last president. Uh, uh, unfortunately, he also led quite a corrupt regime, mm. which is why, even though he made some policy improvements, uh, his party was defeated uh, by Obergon in the current ele- in the past election. And that's really bad news for Mexico in the long run. Yeah, it's, it certainly is. And uh, how, how is the, the the there's obviously a gang control in Mexico, or at least there's a, some sort of uh, agreement between gangs and the government in Mexico. How's that playing out in terms of economic freedom? Uh, that is a key question. Um, perhaps the single most important aspect of economic freedom is the rule of law. Uh, to protect the economic freedom uh, of all, either from government interference or crony capital interference or the type of ugly gain power structure you see in Mexico and much of Central America. So that really deter that causes, that really injures the economic freedom because it de- denies them to many individuals who live in fear uh, of uh, gangs, cannot go about their normal life, um, in a safe and secure manner. In the Human in- Freedom Index, which I also uh, co-author, uh, that plays a very key role in conditioning whether uh, freedoms are, in effect, available to all. It's a miserable situation. Yeah, I mean, and we're not only talking about economic freedom, but, of course, freedom of speech, freedom of fear, freedom of... <laughs> you just about name it, and it's... Uh, it's uh, these cartels, I guess, have tremendous power in Mexico. Uh, that's correct. And um, the rule of law and security affect both economic freedom and personal freedoms, as you mentioned. So it's a negative all across the uh, the board. And basically, the current president was elected on a promise to do something about it. Uh, and if anything, has done worse than his predecessors. Yeah. So interesting. Again, uh, the Fred McMahon, Chair of Economic Freedom Research at the Fraser Institute. I encourage you to find out more by visiting the website, FraserInstitute.org, F-R-A-S-E-R, FraserInstitute.org is the website. Fred, appreciate your commentary so much. So interesting conversation. Happy New Year to you, and thank you so much for joining us. Happy New Year to you, and thanks for your interest. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly had fun. I hope you'll join us Monday. Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, will be joining us. Larry Reed, president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, will be joining us, as well as Jim McTigg, former Barron's Washington bureau chief and author of many books, his latest two, Follow the Leader, and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. I hope you make it a happy new year and a safe new year as well. We've got a lot to look forward to, hopefully uh, a lot better consequences and and outcomes than we've seen in 2021. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast and a great weekend as well, or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharton.com. <laughs>